The following resource is from lmpc.org and we're delighted to provide it freely to all. If you feel led to give towards the ministry of Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church, we welcome you to do so at lmpc.org give. Please stand for a reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 to 23. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, as many of you know, this week is our annual missions conference where we invite back several missionaries that we support to come and share what God is doing around the world in their area of ministry. And this morning, we are so grateful to have Mal Clark with us from Trinity Church, Manchester. I've gotten to know Malk a few years ago as we had catfish together down at Uncle Larry's and just took intake sodium-filled meal. And uh, it was great to hear more about what he's doing there in Manchester and what God has been doing over the last several years. And so we're grateful to invite him up this morning to preach God's word to us. Now, come on up. Well, good morning, everyone. It is great to be here with you this morning. What a privilege uh, to be able to join you in worship this morning. I'm bringing a whole lot of love with me uh, from Trinity Church, Manchester. We love this church. We are grateful for our partnership in the gospel with you. Uh, and uh, so, Whilst they're not here, on behalf of our congregation, thank you uh, for standing with us and supporting us as we minister to the lost in Manchester. It is truly a privilege to be here with you this morning, and I'm humbled that I get to bring God's word to you. We're going to be jumping into what I would call 1 Corinthians. You guys would, of course, say 1 Corinthians. So uh, apologies if I keep saying 1. Uh, I'm, I'm excited for us to jump into this passage together this morning. What I would love to do is allow the text to speak to us, but I also want to use it as a bit of a launch pad to share with you some of the, the amazing things that the Lord is doing over in Manchester. But let me open up with uh, this illustration. I thought I might as well make the most of my Britishness while I'm here with you. I wonder what you might consider to be a quintessential British sound. Something that when you hear it, your mind goes to uh, the United Kingdom. Maybe it would be the sound of uh, Big Ben ringing out across London, which by the way, Big Ben is the name of the bell, not the tower, and if you uh, maybe didn't know that, it's in the Elizabeth Tower in the Houses of Parliament. So maybe you hear that and you think, oh, England, London. Uh, maybe you think of the bagpipes. When you hear the bagpipes, your mind is taken to the rolling hills of Scotland, 
which by the way, I'm sorry that you've got my accent down here today. Jonathan DeGroote has got a good Scottish accent. He's preaching upstairs. So you can always go to that after this if you want to hear a good accent. Uh, or maybe from my part of the world, it's the, the football chants that come rolling out of Old Trafford. Of course, I'm not going to repeat any of those in good company here this morning. Maybe that's a quintessential British sound. But one that I think, if you have been to the UK, and if you have been to London, and if you have been on the underground, our travel system there, something you will, will have definitely have heard is the sound of a, rec a recorded voice saying, mind the gap. We heard that before, mind the gap. It's uh, every time the train rolls up and the doors open, this little recorded voice says, mind the gap, to remind you that between the little platform you're standing on and the train, there is a tiny gap. Apparently, us Brits are very simple people. We need to be told every time the train comes rolling in. The reason I open up with that is because in a very real sense, this passage in front of us this morning is the Bible's version of mind the gap as it brings our attention to the gaps that exist between Christians and non-believers. Now, obviously, there is a type of gap that we as humans can do nothing about. We cannot begin to bridge the gap between a holy, righteous, loving, perfect God and depraved, sinful man. We, we can't do that. Only Jesus bridges that gap. Only Jesus, who is both fully God and fully man, can bridge that gap. Only Christ can bring sinners like us from the dominion of darkness and into being a permanent resident in the kingdom of God. Only Christ can bridge that gap. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, can that gap be bridged. But there is a type of gap that here we see in 1 Corinthians that Christians can actually start to do something about. And instead of it being a spiritual gap, Paul is bringing our attention to cultural gaps that exist between the church and the unbelieving world. You know, this is something that I think the church in the UK has been learning the hard way over the last few decades. Because whilst the message of the gospel hasn't changed and will never change, the culture around us in, in Manchester has drastically changed. You know, for us in Manchester, we're a city of about 2.8 million people. And of that 2.8 million people, only around 2% of people, 3% of people would belong to a gospel-centered, gospel-preaching church. That means that the overwhelming majority of people in my culture and in my city do not see the church as having any bearing on their life whatsoever. It is so far removed from their culture. Let me tell you about Darius. Darius works in a local coffee shop in Presswich. He works for Costa, which is one of our chains. I don't think you have Costa here. Um, he is about in his mid-twenties, he's gone to university, he's a fairly typical guy, educated, he's got tattoos, he's got a few tattoos on his neck. Uh, he's, a, he's a good laugh, I've got to know him over the last few years as I've been going into this coffee shop. But Darius knows I work for a church, that's something that I've been able to speak with him about a bit. The word pastor means absolutely nothing to him, he has no 
cultural uh, reference to understand what a uh, pastor is. I think he thinks I'm a vicar, but I think he gets a bit confused because I'm not over the age of 60 and I like to smile. Um, so he has, he, he has no idea who I am really and what I do. He doesn't understand who the church is. He has no idea what the church really believes. He's been raised in a culture where the church is something from the past. It's fading out. It's irrelevant. It's far away. In other words, there's a gap. But recently, Darius has started to see the church in action. Because every month, we as a church gather at Costa for our monthly prayer meeting. And we spend time in scripture together. We spend time singing worship together. We spend time praying together. You know, Darius has heard us singing songs like, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And he's kind of going around collecting cups like, what are these guys singing about? The blood of Jesus. He's, he's seen us in small groups praying, like pleading with the Lord that, that God would save many people in our city. He has even had a glimpse of true church community as we have old and young, black and white, Eastern European, Chinese, Iranian, Indian, South African, Christians from all different backgrounds and denominations and social classes coming together to love each other, who know each other, to walk through life together. He, he's seen a glimpse of that in these meetings. And recently after a, a prayer meeting, it was just last month, Darius came up to me and he said, I really like it when you guys come in. You're all so nice. And I said, thanks, mate. We really appreciate the way you serve us so faithfully. And then he asked me, so who are you guys? Like, what, what kind of church are you? Are you Mormons or something? <laughs> but there, that right there, that question, after months of knowing him and having these conversations, was the first time I was able to share something of the reality that we are a community of people who gather around a person called Jesus Christ. And you know, I invited him to church. I said, Darius, you should come along and check, check this out. And his uh, colleagues who were there, they all burst out laughing, or, and including him. And he said, trust me, mate, you wouldn't want someone like me in your church. And I said, actually, Darius, Jesus is for people exactly like you. People like me, people like us. Sinful, messy people in need of a savior. And as we spoke, it was as though that gap between Darius and the church was slowly being bridged. And probably for the first time ever, I can say confidently, probably for the first time ever, he was having a conversation with a Christian where he could actually consider, maybe this Jesus might be for me. Our chat ended with him saying, maybe I do need to go to church. And he said, please keep inviting me. One day I might say yes. Now, he hasn't come in the last few weeks. I wish I could stand up here and say, he's become a believer. He's the assistant pastor at our church now. That would be a good story. <laughs> but maybe, you know, if I get to come back, maybe I'll have more to share on that. But the point is this. It was when Darius saw the church in action with his own eyes that he began to consider, maybe this Jesus could be for me. Maybe he isn't as distant and irrelevant as I've been raised to believe. Maybe church, just 
maybe the gap can be bridged. Paul certainly believed that cultural gaps could be bridged. Here in 1 Corinthians 9, I think Paul gives us three steps or maybe three movements to encourage us to cross the gap. And the first one is the movement of sacrifice. So this is the first movement of sacrifice. Verse 19, if you want to look at that with me. Paul says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. So here is Paul, and we know Paul well, don't we? He was a, a wealthy, once exceptionally zealous religious Jew, who is now also a free citizen of Rome, yet here he is describing himself as a servant, or more literally, as a slave to all. He's ready and he's willing to sacrifice his identity, his rights, his, his social standing, as he says in verse 23, for the sake of the gospel. Now just slow down here a minute with me. Really consider the significance of what Paul is saying here and how radical it is that he's saying this. Paul's Jewish and religious identity were paramount to who he was. You know, there were two sides of the same coin. His Jewish identity would have served him really well in his society. He was respected, he was admired, he was probably the person that other people wanted to be seen with, other people wanted to know. His Jewish identity would have served him very well. It's a little bit like me being a Brit here in the US. You know, back home I'm just another Brit, but here, having this accent seems to serve me pretty well, if I'm honest. You know, people think I am way more intelligent than I actually am. People think I'm much more interesting than I actually am. It seems to have got me a free car upgrade so far. It seems to have got me free coffee. Uh, if I'm ever pulled out over by the police, I'm gonna be heavily relying on it. Oh, sorry officer, I didn't realize 100 miles per hour is the, uh, over the speed limit. I would, I would never, by the way, I would never. Paul's Jewish identity served him really well within the Jewish society. He's, his um, reputation would have preceded him. Just listen to how Paul described who he was uh, in Philippians 3, verses 5 and 6. He says he was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. There's some good credentials there for him. But now, as one who considers himself a slave to all, he says in verse 20, I became as a Jew, or I became like a Jew. He talks about this identity that was once paramount to who he was. He now talks about it like it's a piece of clothing that he can choose to take off or to put, to put back on. He can choose to take it or leave it. Why? Because in Christ, he has a new identity now. The old man who was a slave to sin, who was a slave to legalism, is dead. And the new spirit-filled man, alive to Christ, now joyfully lives as a slave to Christ. Paul has no problem describing himself as a slave. 
And so we need to ask ourselves this morning, do we? Are we prepared to live out our new identities as slaves to Jesus by giving up ourselves, potentially sacrificing our, even our reputations if it means the advancement of the gospel of Christ? Are we prepared to look weak and foolish in the eyes of the world if it means that some of those eyes might be opened to the glory of Christ? Or are we so concerned with our reputation being found in being a student or being a, a mom, I was gonna say mom, or being a Republican or being an American or being a Brit? For Paul, he considers all the benefits of his old identity as rubbish compared to knowing Jesus. Philippians 3.8, he carries on, he says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Out of the joy of gaining Christ, Paul willingly sacrifices his Jewish identity so that now he might go out and gain people. So five times here in our passage, he says he wants to win. It's quite literally the same translated word for gain. Paul wants to gain. Paul wants to win people to Jesus as he has been won and as he has gained Christ for himself. Paul is ready. He crosses the gap by caring less about his reputation and his social standing and much more about Christ's. And as he sacrifices, he also enters. And this is our second movement that Paul brings to light here, enter. Paul's desire is to do whatever it takes to bridge the cultural gap so that he might enter the unbeliever's world and get alongside them. So just look at the passage with me again. Verse 19, he says, to the Jews I became as a Jew. Verse 20, to those outside the law, uh, outside the Mosaic law, in other words, to the Gentiles, I became as a Gentile. Verse 21, to the weak, that is, is as in young, struggling Christians, baby Christians. He says, I became as one of them. Paul was ready to step out of his own cultural preferences and comforts and to step into other people's worlds to get alongside them. Just notice here with me in verse 21, as long as it's within the parameters of the gospel, in other words, as long as it, it wasn't sinful, Paul was willing to go anywhere to reach the lost. Entering an unbeliever's world can be really hard, can't it? If you've got an unbelieving friend or family member or neighbor, it can be really hard to enter into their world. We recently ran uh, an outreach course, Christianity Explored, uh, which invites people to come in and explore the Christian faith. And um, in front of me, I had an unmarried uh, South African mum with some kids. Her kids went there. I had uh, another lady, a single lady from Salford in Manchester. I had a, an Irish traveler, or what was once called gypsies, but apparently gypsies is a bit of a, an offensive term now. Uh, but he's from the traveling community. And I had a Muslim guy from Iran. <laughs> that was our group. It was a pretty diverse group. Uh, and I was thinking there, sitting there thinking, 
how am I going to bridge the gap with such a group of unlikely people? But 1 Corinthians 9 really helps us here. Paul is helping us see the gospel is for all. Even the most unlikely people, the people that we never thought would enter a church. Let me ask you, who are your unlikely people? Who do you, whilst you would never say it out loud, quietly in your mind, quietly in your heart, you think the gospel is for all, but not really those guys. They're the people, they're the person I could never really see coming to church, coming to Christ. Paul says God's kingdom is for the most unlikely among us. There's no such thing as an unreachable person in God's kingdom. So what would it look like for this church community to keep doing whatever it takes to reach the most unlikely people in your communities? How far are you, brother or sister, willing to go to reach into the world of unbelievers? You know, maybe it looks like being generous to change, not holding on to your preferred uh, uh, style of, of music within church or your preferred aesthetic in church life, or maybe this is a controversial one, your preference of what people should wear to church on a Sunday. Maybe it's just letting go of some of those things. And instead, it's deliberately operating in ways where you are thinking of unbelievers in your community to invite them in. I've been so encouraged as I've been here, the, the number of initiatives that, that LMPC does to reach non-believers here in Chattanooga. You know, if you're someone who wants to reach the unchurched, the de-churched, I'd really encourage you, go and hang out where they hang out. Be deliberate about entering spaces where non-Christians are hanging out even if it's not your cultural preference. You know, maybe it looks like hanging out with non-believers at the country club up here, which I've had the privilege of going along to and having a great meal there. Or maybe it looks like going for missional coffees somewhere down the mountain to a coffee shop where no one else from your church community is currently hanging out and building a relationship with the staff there, with the regulars there. Maybe it just looks like thinking outside the box and being deliberate about going to places where you know non-Christians are hanging out and connecting with them, loving them, treating them as normal people, and then seeing where the Lord might lead that as you pray for them. For us, one of the things we've been trying to do in Manchester is we've been going out just praying for our community, going on prayer walks, asking the Lord to bring people to us as we go out praying. We're actually praying a lot for an area in Manchester at the moment called Cheatham Hill, which is right on our doorstep, which is a predominantly Muslim area. Um, We've been walking through that area and praying and having conversations with people on the street. Uh, Next week, Ramadan starts, and in a few weeks' time, it'll be wrapping up. And in the final week of Ramadan, Muslims believe that Allah hears their prayers and answers their prayers um, because as a reward for their fasting for 40 days. And so we as a church are going to be going out into Cheatham Hill in that last week to go pray to Jesus, that Jesus might come and bring salvation to people in that community. Paul is saying, whatever your context looks like, whatever, wherever you find yourself in the world, church, whatever it takes, be prepared to enter into the unbeliever's world. Because as we sacrifice our cultural preferences and as we enter into unbelieving territory, it is there 
and then that we can proclaim the gospel. And this is our final movement, proclaim the gospel. This is Paul's aim in all of this, isn't it? To bridge the gap in order to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And what we see with Paul is whilst the message of the gospel never changes, how we communicate can adapt depending on who we're speaking to. Paul does this all the time in the New Testament. Acts chapter 13, what do we see? Paul is in the synagogue. He's hanging out with Jewish people. He's quoting from the Psalms, from Psalm 2. He's quoting from Habakkuk. The focus of his message is all about how the Messiah had to be a crucified and risen Messiah. That's his message. That's how he's communicating. But just a few chapters later in Acts chapter 17, Paul is in Athens amongst predominantly a Gentile group. He's standing at the Areopagus, the place where the philosophers of the age would come and debate. And you notice he's not quoting the Psalms anymore. He's not quoting from Habakkuk. He's skillfully, skillfully using cultural references in order to bring people's minds to Jesus. He's talking about idol worship. He's talking about pagan poetry. He even quotes pagan poetry. Why? To proclaim the message of Jesus. Same message, different methods. It's as though Paul was so skilled at being able to understand the language of the culture around him and therefore he could enter in and speak their language and proclaim the gospel with power. And so we need to ask ourselves, what language are we speaking? As we hold out the message of Jesus to unbelievers in our lives, are we speaking in a way that they can understand? You know, I know of a missionary back home who went to one of the African nations and started preaching to the community there. And he preached his first message on grace and no one seemed to respond. He, he preached his second message on forgiveness and no one seemed to respond until one day where he stood up and he said, I know the person who holds the key to death and Hades. And all of a sudden, everybody wanted to know. Why? Because in this culture, he was speaking their language. In a culture which is focused on the supernatural and on the spiritual, to know the person who holds the keys to death, that's someone they wanted to know. And from there, he was able to share the gospel with many. I think sometimes culture can seem scary and we want to run away from culture. But Paul is saying, no, we have everything we need to turn and look culture in its face and to not only do that, but to enter into culture and speak the language of the culture so that we can declare the saving power of the gospel. We bridge the gap by sacrificing. We bridge the gap by entering. And we bridge the gap by proclaiming the message of Jesus. And as much as we look to Paul this morning, ultimately we look to Christ, don't we? Christ who sacrificed for us, who left the glory of heaven, who entered into our world in flesh, God incarnate, the fullness of God in man, who made himself lower than the angels, a servant, a slave, come to serve, who sacrificed himself upon the cross, who bore our sin, who bore our shame, who died so that we might die to sin and who rose again so that we might share in his new life. 
and whose resurrection is now proclaimed by the angels and by the church. As we consider bridging the gap, just think about what it cost Jesus himself, the holy, righteous, blameless son of God, to come to Lookout Mountain and to eat with people like us. So great is his love for sinners. And may we be those who now go out to proclaim this love to the world. Let me close with this quote from Charles Spurgeon. May this be our rally call as we go. If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. Let me pray. Oh Lord, we thank you that you sent your son to enter into our darkness, to enter into our world, to come and rescue and redeem sinful, messy people like us. Jesus, we thank you that you gave your life at the cross, that you bore the wrath of God so that we sinners might come and seek mercy and forgiveness and find new life in you. And we pray, by your spirit, would you fill us and use us to go out into the world around us to proclaim the saving message of the gospel to people who do not yet know you. Lord, we pray for your help in this. In Jesus' name, amen.